Maria, and welcome to this week's Hashtag for Paris podcast. It is wonderful that you could join us for this week's teaching. I'll explain a little bit more about who we are at the end, but for now, let's jump right in. Welcome. Glad you are uh, joining us again uh, this week. Um, if you have been following with us through the summer, we've been doing a series called Big Bold Questions. And majority of the questions have come from people like you uh, asking your questions. And as I said this a couple of weeks ago, I think asking questions is so important in the midst of life because that's often the way in which we learn. I mean, I think of the image of young children. They're constantly asking questions because they are so intrigued. They are so interested. And it's through their asking of questions that they begin to learn. I think of in the classroom, oftentimes the way in which we learn the most and what teachers want is for those to, kids to be asking questions. And so when it comes to our faith, it only seems natural to ask questions. Actually, oftentimes many of the conversations that Jesus has with the people around him comes through their questions. There's even times where his disciples would kind of pull Jesus aside afterwards and be like, hey, listen, we don't we don't really get what you were just talking about, or we don't understand why you did what you did or didn't do what we thought you were going to do. They learn through questions. And then the same thing is true when it comes to our faith as well. And so this has been a, a, a great series, a, a series to really deal with your questions. And so today, uh, we're going to kind of deal with a, about three questions because uh, we, we, we couldn't get them all in, in in a time allotted for this series. And so I thought it'd be good to have someone else come in and kind of run shotgun with me. And so I've invited David to come in and join me. Um, and so we're going to kind of just banter back and forth a little bit uh, with, uh, with some of the questions that, that you have been asking. And so let's just jump uh, right in. Um, so David, first of all, thanks for, uh, for joining us. Thanks for jumping in. I know a number of weeks ago, um, you talked about the question of, you know, how do we deal with our failures? Um, so uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of pick it up from there. And one of the questions that was asked, not only in this series, but oftentimes people ask, is simply this, why doesn't everyone believe in Jesus? I mean, Jesus says, I have come so you may have the abundant life. For, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we, we realize the incredible joy and peace and satisfaction. But I know in my conversations with others, particularly with people who have maybe have friends or, or family members, there's a real struggle of, like, why doesn't everyone believe in Jesus? Well, I'm sure that's a question that all of us have asked about some of the connections that we have in life. And I think sometimes we can even think about our own personal journey. Why did it take me so long to respond to God's personal invitation? So if I go back into the scriptures, I look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, and it's quite intriguing there that here are people that knew about him, they saw him, they witnessed what he did, they listened to his teaching. And we are told that when he went to his own village, people said, well, who's this guy? This is just the son of Joseph, the carpenter. I mean, and we are told that Jesus could do no great works even amongst his own people. And they had seen him grow up as a little boy. They had heard of his ministry. He came back and yet they didn't believe. Uh, Jesus also had many situations where one guy came to him and said, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, have you thought about this, that, and the other? And he said, yes. And he said, 
Well, there's one thing that's probably keeping you from following me, and that is your love of money. So for you, I think you need to get rid of that and just be devoted to me. And the guy walked away. So there are some people who don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. Uh, and Jesus compared it to, you know, the soil. And he said, sometimes people, they get excited about Jesus for a moment, then they turn away. Then there are other people, they, they think about Jesus and they want to follow him a bit, but then they get so enraptured by things in life that that becomes their priority and they walk away. I remember years ago in a congregation where I served, a family was coming very regularly and they had a couple kids and um, I remember visiting in their home and one night I was talking to the dad and we got into a conversation about faith and who is Jesus. And I said, tell me a bit about your commitment to Jesus. He said, I don't have a commitment to Jesus. I said, why not? I said, do you believe who he is? Yes. Do you believe what he said is true? Yes. Like just as you said, I've come to have abundant life. And I said, so why, why are you hesitant? And he said, I'm just not interested. And I thought, wow, all these things that Jesus offers, forgiveness, eternal life, life to the full here on earth, the ability to live in a way that brings meaning and purpose. And this guy says, I am just not interested. In the book of Romans, there's this statement, and it simply says, there is no one who seeks after God and all have turned away. So that includes all of us. And yet, at the same time, it says that God is seeking after us. And so I, I found this passage in Ephesians 1, and I think it's really important. I just want to read a verse, and it says that God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. So what Paul does is that he reaches back even before creation and he said, here is something that God has done, that he has chosen you, he has chosen me, he's chosen you who are watching, who have responded to Jesus, to a purpose in life that we would become the children of God. And so I think when we look at that, we need to understand that this is the redeeming work of God. But some are going to say, yes, I understand that, but didn't I choose God? And it is true that you have responded to God's invitation to become part of his family and to become a committed follower of him. But you do that because only in eternity, God first chose you. Now the question is, isn't that kind of a contradiction? And I want to be really upfront. I don't think anywhere in Scripture that this mystery is dispelled. There is a word that I have found very helpful, and it's my $500 word for the day. It's called an antinomy. And an antinomy is simply two statements that seem to contradict each other, but both are concepts that you can't deny. So here is the one, God has chosen us. Here is the other, we choose God. 
And we live with this tension in our life as we walk this faith journey. So I would say God choosing us is a biblical teaching. But I would also suggest that there is a reason for this, that we are called to live a life that is pleasing to God. Paul says here in that passage I read in Ephesians, we are called to be holy and blameless in his sight. And some people are going to argue, well, if God's chosen me and I'm there, I can just do whatever I want. No, no, that's not what the Bible says. Paul says we are called to be holy and blameless. In his letter to the Romans in the sixth chapter, he has said, we have died to sin and we seek to live unto God. And so this should also produce in us a stimulus to humility. That there's nothing that I have done that God has chosen me, but it's the fact that God has simply chosen me. And in humility, I accept that reality. It's not based on my merit. It's not based on my intellectual abilities. It is based on God's choice. That goes back to the nation of Israel. It's the smallest nation. And people ask, why did God choose them? It says, in love, he chose them. And the same is true with us. It is in love, he has chosen us. So when I realize that, my desire is to live to the praise of God's glory. I don't know why people haven't responded to the gospel. And I would think if you are listening this morning and God has been nudging you and you have never responded, that's the work of God's spirit. Now you have a choice to make and you can live life to the full and have life which is eternal. Or you can say to God, forget it. I think that's, that's important, right? That, that, that tension that we live with. We often want to know, is it 100% God? Is it 100% me? But, but we walk with that together. And I would say, you know, for those that maybe are struggling because of family or friends who don't believe, you know, we continue to pray. We continue to show the difference that, that God is making um, in, in our life as well. Um, so second question, uh, as we continue to roll here. Uh, no one really kind of threw us any uh, softballs uh, this week. Question is this. Why does God tolerate such injustice in the world? Now, a couple of weeks ago, Jonathan spoke about suffering, but it's coming at a different angle. This past number of weeks, we have heard just the horrors of what is happening in Afghanistan. And, and we see just the, the devastation and the evil and the destruction by the Taliban. And so if God is in control, um, like I get it, like we can't always explain the sufferings, but, but this has gone on for centuries. So why does God tolerate these type of injustice? That's a question so many people wrestle with over and over again. And as you said, that's been part of history, I would say almost from day one. I mean, some of you can think back to the Nazi regime you can think of Joseph Stalin and his cleansing, uh, uh, the Khmer Rouge uh, amongst the, the boat people. You can think of Rwanda. I have a, a friend, well, I'm more of an acquaintance. His family were killed in the Rwanda massacre. And now we have things like the Taliban. And we have just heard a couple of days ago of an explosion and you know hundreds of people died just trying to get inside the gates at the airport. And so, you know, we see this evil where pain and suffering and injustice 
is being inflicted upon people. And it's been happening, I would say, since almost the beginning of time. We see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament period. And we see this in the time where we now live. Um, one of the things that, I, that strikes me is that we can see the evil in the human heart. And that is not part of God's original design uh, for us as his people. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, we see in detail the origin of the world's darkness. And when our first parents, Adam and Eve, turned away from God in disobedience, we lost that relationship. And that relationship impacted every other relationship that has ever existed. And so we can simply say they fell apart. And we can see the evil that has been perpetuated over the years. And so the brokenness of our world is inherited by the entire human race. So I want to give you maybe two examples. One is a personal injustice, and one is more of a corporate injustice. Uh, some of us have never experienced, you know, corporate injustice as a nation. But I'm sure all of us have experienced some degree of personal injustice. And we wonder, why does God allow it? Why doesn't he just wipe it all out or wipe those people out? Before we get too far on that, one of the questions you might have to ask yourself is, have I ever caused an injustice or done something which is wrong to other people? And should God wipe me out? That's where I want to begin. The first injustice is a story that's probably well known. I'm taking two biblical examples. It's the story of a young man, the favorite of his father. His name was Joseph. He had 11 other brothers and they were filled with jealousy. And one day Joseph comes and is checking up on his brothers because his dad had requested it. And they think, here's our chance to get rid of this kid. And they hated him with such a passion that they said, let's kill him. And the older brother, Reuben, said, no, no, let's not do that. And they sold him as a slave. He goes to a foreign country and there he is a servant. And the servants, the master's wife, accuses him of attempting to rape her. The master is enraged and has Joseph thrown into prison to rot for the rest of his life. Totally innocent. Injustice. Eventually, as we know the story, Joseph is released from prison and rises to the rank of second in the entire nation of Egypt. And a famine hits the land, including the Israelites. And they eventually have to come to Egypt to buy grain. Joseph now recognizes who they are. This could be his chance, he thinks. Okay, I'm going to get even. And sometimes that's the thing a lot of people want. When injustice has happened, I'm going to get even or I seek revenge. Eventually, he reveals his identity to them and is restored to his brother and his elderly father. They are concerned that when their father dies, Joseph will seek revenge. But there's an amazing statement that Joseph makes in the book of Genesis chapter 50. And he said, What you did, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good, for the saving of many, many people. So in other words, 
Joseph saw the bigger picture in the end result. Now, was it wrong that they sold him as a slave? Absolutely. Was it wrong that he was falsely accused? Absolutely. Was it wrong that he rotted in prison for a few years? Absolutely. But in the midst of all that, he learned to trust God, that God had a purpose that he could not see in that immediate moment that he was going to work it out. The second illustration I would use is that of a corporate example, and it's the nation of Israel. And in this nation of Israel, there is a prophet whose name is Habakkuk. Some call him Habakkuk. doesn't really matter. What he sees is all around him, there is violence and destruction. The rich and the powerful are destroying the poor. They are using them for their own means. They are an oppressed people. There is injustice that is escalating. And Habakkuk cries out to God. And the first thing he says to God are some amazing words. He said, O Lord, I call to you and help, but you do not listen. I cry out violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? And why do you tolerate wrongdoing? So that's the legitimate question that people ask. Why are these things happening? Why doesn't God do something? And so Habakkuk has these three questions. He says, first of all, why do I have to look at all of this? The second question he says is, uh, why and how long is it going to continue? And then the third one is, God, why don't you do something about it? And here's the reply that God gives to him. And it's probably not the reply he wants to hear. And God says, here's what's going to happen. Before it gets better, it's going to get worse. Now, most of us don't want to hear that. And God said, here is my plan. I'm going to raise up a nation called the Chaldeans, and they're going to invade Judah and oppress all those who are oppressing others. And this becomes an act of judgment. Now, the Chaldeans were a law unto themselves. They were some of the most evil people of the day. We might compare them to the totalitarian powers of the 20th century. And Habakkuk says to God, well, how can you do that? How can you raise up a more evil nation to judge an already evil nation? He says, I can't figure this out. I can't understand it. So he said, all I'm gonna do, I'm gonna have to sit back and wait. So he goes to a tower called a watchtower. And he says, I'm gonna sit there and see what happens. And while waiting, God gives to him a vision. And the vision is this, at a predetermined time, all these injustices will be restored and everything will be made right. In the meantime, he says to him, will you trust me? And here's what Habakkuk says. He says, though there's no feed in the, in the barns, there's no grapes on the vine, yet I will trust in God. So here's the question. Can we trust God to work it out in the end. We need to understand this, that one day, all people will stand before the great white throne judgment seat of God, and all evil will be punished. 
The judgment day will be accompanied by the coming of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, and the renewal of heaven and earth. And at that point, we are told that we will have a new heaven and a new earth where there's no pain or suffering, sickness or death. All things will become new and even the creation will be set free. That is our hope. I can't answer why doesn't God do things immediately, but I do know this, that I'm called to trust him in the midst of it all and ultimately it will be made right. It's interesting, both those themes, you know, why doesn't everyone believe wiser injustice ties in the theme of trust? That we often don't understand why it is happening or what God is doing, but it's that it's that belief of God is at work. Because oftentimes God does things that don't make sense to us. Yeah. Um, and we need to continue to trust, which Brings us to the last question, or our final question. Uh, and this was um, someone who asked a question along the lines of this. Um, if God won't fix my problems, should I? And, and the person kind of in, in dialogue kind of wrestled with that tension of, you know, how, how active should I be? And, and, and if, if there's something that I need sorted in my life, what should I do? So I was reminded of the words of, of Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 12, where he talks about this thorn um, in his flesh. And this is what he said. He said, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. As I, as I think of some of these questions, as I think of, you know, why doesn't everyone believe? As I think of, you know, why are there injustice in this world? As I think of the, the, the challenges I have in life, I appreciate what Paul says here because he talks about how do we live by grace? We often talk, we're saved by grace, we're saved by what Jesus has done, but, but how do we begin to live by it? Because as the example you use with Joseph, God had a plan and Joseph probably didn't understand it. As we see God working in the lives of individuals, we, we see what God is doing. And I think for me, to trust God means to live by grace. And so we're going to kind of just wrap up our time here today. Um, what I think is one action where we live by grace, and that is the celebration of communion, where we, we recognize the grace that we have in Jesus, but how it is his grace that sustains us. And so if you're at home, um, you know, hopefully you've been able to grab something to drink, something to eat, because at times I get asked this question, you know, what is the deal with communion? Uh, maybe particularly you are, are new to, to church or to Christianity, and you're thinking, you know, what's the deal with the cup and the little bread? Like, that seems kind of weird. Like, like, why do we do this? Why do we talk about the, broke, the broken body of Jesus? It reminds us that we not only are saved by grace, that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are saved, but that we live by grace. That, that acts of communion, we, we celebrate God with us in the midst of all of life. 
And so I'm kind of glad that you're here with me today because every other time I've done communion online, I've done it pretty much by myself. And so we're going to do it together. And so Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he took elements of bread and wine and he took the bread and says, this is my body, which shall be broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And so David, let's, uh, let's celebrate the goodness of God together as we celebrate him. Jesus then took the cup and Jesus says, this cup is a new covenant, which is sealed with my blood. For without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Therefore, when you drink from this cup, do so in remembrance of me. So David, thanks for jumping on with me here today. Um, thank you all of you for uh, joining us and for asking your questions. Um, keep asking questions. You can always email me um, and we can call, create a dialogue going back and forth because this is one of the ways that we continue to learn. This week, perhaps as our takeaway, in the midst of all of our questions of life, we may not always have the answer. But will we continue to trust in Jesus in the midst of it? That's what it begins to look like to live by grace. Trusting in God in the midst of the uncertainties, in times of unexpected twists and turns, in, in moments of injustice, in dealing with difficulties. We live by grace. Because as Paul says, Oftentimes, the way that we experience the most of Jesus at work in life is not in the easy times, is not in the times that we can explain, but in the moments of hurt, the times of injustice, in the difficult places. But it's there that we live by grace. I really appreciate you joining us this week. Um, I hope you'll join us next week as, as we look at the question of how can God use me? You may be sitting at home thinking, you know, what, what do I have to offer? Yes, yes, I'm going to trust in Jesus. Yes, I believe in Jesus. But can God really use me? The answer is a definitive yes. And we're going to unpack that even more next week. So I hope you'll join us. Before we sign off, let me just close in prayer. And so Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to, to learn more from you. We recognize that there are challenges in life that we know people who maybe don't believe yet. Or we look at the injustice in this world. May we continue to trust in you, believe in you, that you are continually at work. For we ask it all in your name. Amen. And so now may the blessing and love of God the Father Almighty, the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit be with you today and in all of your tomorrows.
podcast today. We hope that you were encouraged by what you just heard. Just so you know a little bit more about who we are, hashtag for Paris, our church is about creating a culture that shows people that we are for them and for our local community. Jesus invites us to experience a meaningful life with him and others. So we meet every Sunday morning in person at the Paris Presbyterian Church at 10.30 a.m. and throughout the week in various home groups and pubs here in Paris. It is here that we experience authentic relationships and we grow deep in our faith journeys together. If you would like to connect with us further, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And it is here that you can find links to any of our other audio and video podcasts, sermons, and you can track with what's happening with us each month. Please go straight to our website for more information now about our home groups and how you can get involved. Our website is parispresb.ca. Yes, that's right, parispresb, P-R-E-S-B dot C-A. And it's there that you can share our links with your friends, family, and neighbors. Uh, We have friends from around the world who connect in with us online on a regular basis. And so lastly, please feel free to email me and get connected directly. I would love to chat with you. My email is leah at parispres.ca, and I'll get right back to you. So that's all we have for now. Thanks again for joining, and we'll see you again next week. Bye for now, everyone.